Hey guys, it's Billy Bunzari and you are listening to OMG with Billy Bunzari. Guys, I kind of love the way naturally we've just come up with that little tagline. Like I never sat down and said, what will I say? But I kind of love that I'm in the flow. And in the flow I am, I'm absolutely back on my bullshit. I know I touched on it last week, but just the last week previous has been really gorgeous. I was in town a good bit this week. I feel like the weather's picked up. Spring kind of vibes are in the air. I'm back gigging as well. I did pawn shop on Thursday. So what we do is we do gay for pay on the last Thursday of every month, which actually happens to be payday for a lot of people which works out in our favor and yeah it's been an absolute blast like it really has like it's been so much fun Thursday was absolutely cuckoo bananas and I know I say that like every single like every single Friday after I do pawn shop my story is like rainbow background guys omg last night was cuckoo bananas but truly like cuckoo bananas but yeah it was a full moon on Thursday and you know the way they say like i really do believe in that shit do you really believe in that shit brenda yes i do my psychic told me gets knocked down by bus guys i think we should do an episode on scary movie one of these days the trilogy i think there was four but um yeah brenda forever anyway they say that like in like like people who work in like health facilities whether it's like a mental health facility or like a hospital people who work there say that they can tell when it's a full moon because everyone goes lula and i'm gonna vouch for djs it's the exact same thing like people were nuts on thursday which is always amazing and yeah it just felt great to be back on my bullshit i played it's rain and men by jerry halliwell which guys honestly can we just take a second for it's rain and men by jerry halliwell Massive hit by the Weather Girls in, I don't know, I'm sure it was like 78, 79. Like it's disco, it's camp. Like anything, any kind of a song that starts with like a false, like weather report, I'm here for. Amazing, amazing work. Jerry Halliwell covered it. Oh, guys, as well, I picked up on something from last week's episode. I was just about to say, Jerry Halliwell famously covered it. But that seems to be my my famous, famous word. It's all I say on the podcast. Famously, Carl is on his phone. Famously, Billy's drinking... Um, guys, I'm drinking a pint of strawberry and lime copperberg. How unhinged is that? Famously. But I can't stop saying it, so I'm really conscious of that now. So I'm going to try and not say that too much in this week's podcast. But anyway, Jerry Halliwell famously covered it for Bridget Jones. And honestly, I think it's one of... I, I re- guys, I really cannot, I, I cannot say this enough. I think it's one of the greatest songs of all time. Like, it's like a Europop, techno, progressive symphony. Like, the build-up. Oh my God, this is going to be the song for the episode. Anyway, I think it's one of the best songs of all time. Like, I really think it's one of the best songs of all time. And it's, it's a club song. Like, it's best played, belting through the speakers in a club. Like, it's so fucking good. Like, it really is. It's an absolute trackeroonio. Anyway, I love playing it. I play it a lot in gay clubs. Um, I play it a lot at Mother. Like, I just absolutely adore it. 
Anywho, it's like, and as well, it's like, it's like 147 BPM. Like, it's fucking mental. I played it in Pawn Shop on, um, on Thursday. And Deo, the gorgeous manager at Pawn Shop, the owner, he brought me over a pint of water. Because, I like, guys, if anyone's been to a Billy Bunzari gig, that sounds so wanky. But, doesn't it? <laughs> Who do I think I am? Elton John. If anyone's been to a Billy Bunzari gig, what? Stop, Carl. Turn the mic off. Anywho, I'd be giving it shucks. Like, I'd be giving it absolute shucks. Like, pouring my heart and soul out, dancing, singing, wailing around, throwing myself. Anything that I can find. My new thing now is that there's always, like, seems to be like, a speaker that's underneath the decks that's not in use. Okay? Like a monitor, like a booth monitor that's not in use. Always. No matter where you are, there's always a booth monitor under the decks that's not in use. So like maybe like a meter high, just a little bit less. Consider that my stage. I always pull them out and kind of have my little soapbox to perform on. Doing so in Pawn Shop playing Jerry Halliwell, It's Raining Men. And at the crescendo of that song, I decided to pick up the pint of water that day I had just brought over to hydrate me so I didn't pass out. And I just fucked it over myself. Like the whole pint of water in like this performance art kind of sacrament I just decided to fuck the pint of water over myself and just spin around for like 30 seconds and everyone was looking at me like is he well now I was very unwell but also very well like it was the best time of my life like I just absolutely adored it anyway I thought that was the best thing I ever could have done at the time and then I had a drink afterwards was having a kiki with two of the girlies Emer and Chew love you to bits like we just had an absolute ball but then I was on the way home in a taxi it's like 5am and I was sitting there and I was like, because I'd be sweating, guys. Like I said, if anyone's ever been to a Billy Bonzari show, you'll know. But like, I'd be sweating, like sweating, like pumping sweat. Heart rate up, my love. I was in the taxi on the way home, met this gorgeous guy from Mauritius. And he literally was the biggest angel I've ever met in my life. He was a Hindu. And I didn't really know much about Hinduism. But like we really got into it. I was sitting out. Do you know those taxi drivers where you're sitting outside your house for 20 minutes <laughs> after the fact? And we're talking about Hinduism. He was amazing. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I realized I was like, I'm soaking wet, but like I'm always soaking wet on my way home from a gig, like sweating. But then I was like, no, I'm particularly wet. Like literally, like, the, like do you know the squelch? Like, do you know what I mean? Like I was like, no, I'm actually soaking wet. And I was like, why am I so wet? And then I remembered that I fucked a pint of water all over myself when I was playing It's Raining Men. But guys, you really have to suffer for your art. So I came in after my Hinduism education and I had a shower. This is literally 5am. I had a shower and then I got out of the shower and I was like, I'm starving because it was literally like 12 hours or whatever since I've eaten. And I made gnocchi and I cut up. I made it. This is no guys, honestly, this is like... If you're a foodie, if you consider yourself a foodie, turn the podcast off, close your ears, do what you have to do. Like, I'm I'm a rotter when it comes to food. Like, I'm an absolute rotter when it comes to food. So I made um, I made a lot of gnocchi. So, you know, like the done stores, like vacuum packed, like fresh pasta that you just boil for like three minutes and it's stunning. Made a lot of gnocchi, made a lot of rashers. Cut the rashers up, put them in with the pasta. As my sauce, I just use a big massive lump of butter. That was my sauce. Like the sauce for the pasta was just a big, massive lump of butter. Grated cheese mixed in, mixed all around while it's still hot. Everything just kind of melts into each other. It was stunning. So yeah, I had an absolute ball. Consider me back on my bullshit. But I have to say, Pawn Shop has been amazing. It really has. It's been an absolute blast. Gay for pay every Thursday. Well, no, not every Thursday. Every We did every Thursday at the start, but like... I don't know. I think it's less special when, you know, the kind of way it just kind of felt like, oh, 
Um, but we do the last Thursday of every month. So if you are in Dublin and you fancy seeing me basically having a water fight with myself live on stage, do come by because it's been an absolute ball so far. And yeah, I'm really loving it. It's raining. So guys, will we get into it? Will we really get to what we all came here for today? I need to talk about Maison Margiela's latest show for Couture Week in Gay Paris. So Couture Week took place. I say that funny, don't I? Couture. Couture. Couture Week took place this week in Gay Paris. Shipperelli kicked it off and Maison Margiela closed it off. There was lots of highlights in between, including Robert Warren for me was just the one. <laughs> it was absolutely gorgeous. I thought, I don't know, like I... Twitter is controversial. People are like obsessed or not at all. I follow a lot of fashion pages on Twitter. Like that's just kind of I've kind of, you know you curate your feed on a on a social to kind of like match your vibe. So Twitter to me is kind of like nearly an extension of what Tumblr used to be. Like it's just really visual. I follow I follow I follow a lot of fashion accounts, and whenever there's a fashion week, it's just hopping. Um, but I absolutely loved my feed this week. And um, yeah, highlight of Couture Week. So guys, as well, I'm very conscious that like, maybe for my listeners, my gorgeous listeners, you're like, what the fuck is Couture Week? Now for me, that seems crazy because it's like my life, you know? But like, if you are unfamiliar with what Couture Week is. So as you all probably know, Fashion Week happens. Okay, it's just a fact of life. Fashion Week happens to mark the seasons, the upcoming seasons. So like in the spring, Fashion Week will be on and the designers will showcase the following winter collection. So it's always kind of obviously ahead and happens a couple of times a year. For January in particular, it's Couture Fashion Week. So basically the couture houses show their collections, their couture collections. Now, what that means is couture is, it's basically a Parisian art form. It's a French art form. And the couture houses would be like your top tier Parisian fashion houses. So you'd have Dior, obviously Christian Dior famously founded the the brand. You'd have Chanel, Coco Chanel, obviously, famously, should I say, um, founded that brand. It's kind of the big Parisian fashion houses when they show their couture collections. But basically what couture means is every single piece of clothing is handmade. And that's a stipulation. Like it has to be handmade. And they have teams of like seamstresses and like, creators they're typically like really gorgeous parisian women who are it kind of seems to be a family profession you know their mothers or their fathers even before them would have worked for the design houses the clothes all have to be made in paris in the design houses every single sequin that's sewn on has to be done so by hand so it's not ready to wear it's not these aren't pieces of clothing that you go into a, a department store and buy these are kind of it's it's art, really. I know that's a controversial thing to say. A lot of people don't regard fashion as art. A lot of people do. I definitely do, especially when we're talking about Margiela and John Galliano, especially. He's definitely an artist. Couture kind of acts as the best of the fashion house. You know, it's kind of nearly also, I hate to say this because it sounds reductive. It's kind of like a PR stunt for each different house. It's like, this is who we are. This is what we're made of. This is what we do at our best. And... Each piece is just, it's just meant to showcase um, the design house. 
very, very few pieces are actually made to wear for customers. There is a community of very, very, very rich women in the world who go to the couture shows and they they make orders with the designers to purchase certain pieces, usually kind of like coats or wedding gowns or that kind of thing. But these women are famously very anonymous and unknown. They're just old money, rich women. But the pieces of clothing, like I said, they're not really made to be mass produced. It's just kind of once off pieces. But couture fashion week typically attracts a lot of attention and it's really where the avant-garde can exist and like I said the designers can showcase really what they're what they're good at and like I think if you think of Schiaparelli really I think that would be a good designer for people to kind of think of and kind of just think of the impact that Schiaparelli has had in terms of like pop culture in the last kind of five years I think they've definitely been a brand that have just kind of been everywhere like if you think of Bella Hadid just after COVID, she famously wore on the red carpet. She wore a Schiaparelli gown that featured like a gold ornate reconstruction of a, a set of lungs, but like make it jewellery. Um, Jennifer Lopez works a lot with the brand. She was at the Couture Show this week. Schiaparelli definitely be an example of a brand that's just so synonymous with Couture and like once-off pieces and just total artistry. So yeah, that's a little basic, very, very basic user-friendly guide to what couture is and why it's important for the brands. You know, it's it's a PR example, really. It's this is who we are, this is what we do. And it's just high art and drama, drama, drama. And yeah, there's just been lots of amazing shows this week. I don't know. What kind, I don't know. Maybe it's like people are really in need of escapism. Maybe I'm particularly in need of escapism because it just really seemed to impact me this year more so than ever before. And one show in particular really fucked me up. And that was the Maison Margiela Couture Show, Artisanal Couture Show by John Galliano. So let's talk all things Margiela. And while we're at it, we have to touch on Galliano because it really, he is the standout star from from this week. He's the, he's the man on everyone's lips and I've never seen a reaction to a show. I really, guys, I really mean this. The last time I saw a reaction to a show, both online, IRL, was probably Platos Atlantis by the late and grey Lee Alexander McQueen, which took place in 2009. Like, I really mean I have not seen the fashion community and just people, IRL people in every day, talk about a collection like they are talking about the Margiela collection by John Galliano. So let's get to it. Guys, also a massive highlight as well for Couture Week was Simone Rocha for John Paul Gaultier. We're not here to talk about that, but Simone Rocha um, took the helms at Jean-Paul Gaultier. He has stepped down as creative director and she has taken over. Irish designer, amazing, amazing lineage and history there with her and her own kind of art and her own fashion. And she kind of really, I think, so she married the blend of the the house's kind of staples and their design. Like Jean-Paul Gaultier is probably... Like, in terms of a personality in fashion, he's definitely my favourite designer. He's funny. Like, he's camp. He's always smiling, always laughing. Fashion is notoriously kind of a... I don't know. A lot of people who work in fashion, let's just say, 
the designers themselves. They're never going to be the life and soul of the party. They're amazing artists, but they're not necessarily the most outward, you know, charismatic people. They're always kind of low-key, I would say. Obviously, personal personalities in fashion. You think of Isabella Blow, who famously, we might even say, um, stepped in behind Alexander McQueen, Lee McQueen, and endorsed him and took him to the heights that he got to. She was an editor of British Vogue. She was an aristocrat fashion personality in the 90s. There's definitely an episode there with her. She was amazing. But typically, designers are kind of quite serious. And I just feel like Jean-Paul Gaultier was always camp, high glamour, really funny, always smiling, always laughing. He used to host um, Eurotrash. Used to guest on Eurotrash. If any of my millennial brothers and sisters are listening, you will remember Eurotrash for being on quite late at night. It was it would have been repeats. I think it would have been the early nineties. Um, but the show was filmed and produced in the nineties. But it was always just really, really camp. Like Victoria's Silver set was on. There was porn, but it wasn't kind of porn for the sake of porn. It was more so like behind the scenes. There was a mix of fashion, music, entertainment. Anyway, Jean-Paul Gaultier is my bae, but he has stepped down from his own label as creative director and Simone Rocha has taken the helm and it was her first um, her first show this Couture Fashion Week. And, oh, guys, just the blend of her motifs with his. I just think it was absolutely exceptional. Let's do a little bit of a background on Martin Margiela first and then we'll get into John Galliano and then we're going to talk about the show. So Martin Margiela founded his namesake brand Maison Martin Margiela in 1988. And if you think, like just think about what you know about 80s fashion. We're talking shoulder pads. We're talking bold contrasting colours. We're talking excess. The 80s was a time of excess. It was yuppie. It was Wall Street. It was High cheekbones, high colour, high glamour, high impact. Um, and that that was fashion, you know. It was all reflected in fashion. It came from fashion. That's what we know. But Martin Margiela came along. He was from Antwerp. And he was kind of synonymous with the Antwerp Six. Basically, the Antwerp Six were a group of young designers from Antwerp who really kind of came up in the 80s and the 90s and took the fashion world by storm. Typically, your designers would be from either London in the UK, American designers mostly from New York, or then you would have your French designers from Paris. And the Antwerp Six kind of just came along and shook things up in the 80s and the 90s. For good, I would say, but they were revolutionary at the time. And Martin Margiela was absolutely revolutionary when he made his splash on the scene. Like I said, the 80s, you think of shoulder pads, you think of drama. And he kind of was the opposite. His motifs were all about deconstruction of garments, ripping, fraying, distressed fashions that kind of shocked the industry and the public at large when they first debuted in the 80s and kind of really came to prominence in the 90s. Like I said, everything was kind of frayed and distressed and it just really hadn't been seen before on a world stage. So he 
he just really brought something new to the industry that people haven't seen before. And that's kind of what he's become known as. Now, if anyone wants, who isn't familiar with Martin Margiela or Maison Margiela, if you think of the tabby boots, I think that kind of really personifies what he was all about and what he's done. So basically, the tabby boots are, you might have seen them either on people or online. They are shoes. Now, he's been doing this since the very start of his career, but they've really become famous in the past 10 years. Now, there was a TikTok story that kind of went viral a few months ago. You might know what I'm talking about. Uh, basically, a guy swindled this girl in New York on Tinder and stole her tabby boots. But basically, what the tabby boots are, are they're a pair of boots, but basically the big toe is separated in the shoe. Like, there's literally a space where your big toe goes into and then where the rest of your toes go into. And if you kind of think about that, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. You've definitely seen them before. But that alone is fucking cuckoo bananas and revolutionary. And that's kind of what Martin Margiela was all about. So that's what that's what he was known for. And people really kind of stood behind him and bought into the label and the house. And he was notoriously quiet in the industry. He never really gave interviews. All of his comms were we as opposed to I. Um, if there was ever an interview, it would never be on camera and it would always be with him and his team. Like I said, the kind of whole we thing. He wasn't a showgirl, basically. He was really, really, really quiet. He was compared to Greta Garbo in terms of being kind of elusive and not really about himself, just more so about his work and about the house. Anyway, he went on to have an amazing career since his debut in the 80s and he stepped away as creative director from his own brand in 2009. So from there, instead of appointing a new creative director, which is what usually happens within a fashion house, if someone steps down, for example, like I spoke about John Paul Gaultier, uh, Simone Rocha steps in. That's typically the way it works. Every designer needs it. Every design house needs a creative director. And even just more so for media and speculation, it's kind of a good thing to appoint someone new. You get your PR from it. People are excited to see what the new designer is going to do. And if it goes well, you're on to a winner. Anyway, when Martin Margiela stepped away as creative director from his own brand, he left his team to kind of step in. And there was no real appointed creative director. They kind of worked as a team like they kind of always have done. Anyway, that all changed in 2014 when John Galliano took the helms. Let's talk John Galliano. Okay, really, really controversial character. Amazing artist. Guys, truly, John Galliano's work and his artistry is like no one else. I think when John Galliano really like finally steps away from fashion, I think we will revere him as one of the most important designers. Of all time. He really is. He is a controversial figure. He's famously had his struggles with mental health, with alcoholism, with drug addiction and anti-Semitism, really, to be honest. He did have an outburst in 2010, which kind of was published in 2011, just before Fashion Week. And it led to his dismissal from the house that he worked in, which we're all going to get into. But um, he really is. He's He's a really important designer. And he has blown the socks off the entire community with his latest collection for Margiela. Anyway, guys, let's get into a little bit about John Galliano. John Galliano was born in Gibraltar randomly. Like who? All I think of when I think of Gibraltar is duty-free cigarettes. (laughs) 
Is that random? That's kind of weird of me to say. It's the truth, guys. It's what I know. Anyway, he was born in Gibraltar and he moved to England in the 70s. His mom was... She was a flamenco dancer. That's like an art form. Like, I know we just kind of think of like, I don't know, when I just think of flamenco dancer, I think of the dancing woman emoji. Um, But there's a really rich history there of Spanish tradition and storytelling through the medium of dance. And it kind of always stayed with him in terms of like his creative direction, his motifs, the kind of mix of Spanish culture. And, And then coming to London in the 70s, you know, like his experience in the UK. Um, He graduated from Central St. Martins and he debuted also in the 80s, in the late 80s. Guys, honestly, he's one of the most... Like, this. when we talk about, like, fashion and art and the conflict there, is fashion art? Not all fashion is art, but I definitely think anything John Galliano has ever produced is art. He's a high, high concept artist. Um, He launched his own shows. He would, like, spend weeks individually designing and creating individual invites. Like, every single detail was so important to Galliano. And that was just something that he became known for. It kind of took him a little while to get his own namesake label together. I think because he was such an artist, he really wasn't a businessman at all. He he needed help from a lot of people to kind of get his own label going. And a wind tour famously vouched for him. But he kind of he kind of has always just been known within the community and within the industry as the artist amongst the designers. So he had his own label. Like I said, he was known for his high drama, high concept fashion shows. He would lose thousands of pounds with every show because he just threw the whole kitchen sink at it. And it was just all about the performance models would lend their time to him for free because they just really loved him. He would send models down the runway. There's an amazing clip in the documentary Catwalk. And it's John Galliano backstage um, when he went on to work for Dior, which we're going to get to in a second. But there's a clip from a Dior show backstage. I think it's a couture show. I don't think it's actually ready to wear. But it's Kate Moss. And basically the whole concept of the show was Anastasia. You know, she's running from her palace in Russia through the stormy woods and she's been attacked by wolves and there's diamonds everywhere and she's be, her dress is ripped apart. And he basically, with every model that he sent down the runway, he would take a moment before they would go out onto the runway and kind of tell them who their character is. So with Kate, he's telling her, he's saying, you know, like, you're Anastasia, you're running through the dark woods, your dress is being ripped apart, ripped apart by wolves. You're scared, you're terrified, but you're also really fierce and you're scaring the wolves just as much as you're being scared. And it's just amazing to see those clips online, you know, of of a young Kate Moss being told how to present herself on the catwalk. Anyway, that's what John Galliano was known for. High drama, high concept, detail to the highest level. And that really is couture, like it wasn't necessarily technically perceived as that, but he was an artist to the highest degree. Um, he then kind of went on from having his own label. He then went on to become the creative director and head designer at Dior in the 90s. So this is when Lee Alexander McQueen, who you might know from the famous runners, but that's kind of a shame, really, I suppose, because he's passed away. He passed away in 2010. But before um, he did so, he developed his own brand and that that's the McQueen brand that we all know and love today. Sarah Burton famously stepped in after him. 
Um, she recently hung up her measuring cloth. But basically, Lee McQueen was also a really, really important designer. And him and Galliano came up at the same time in London. So John Galliano was known as an enfant terrible. I definitely didn't say that right, but I just love when I see that printed. Basically, he was like a bra. He was just a fucking fashion bra. And the French press and French designers were very sceptical of him because he was so brash and bold and outlandish. And for him to be taken on by Dior was shocking for some because it was such a revered traditional fashion house. Um, But basically, he came in and turned the whole thing on its head. Like, he really, John Galliano, because to have the money and the backing of a massive, massive fashion house like Dior, he took their couture shows to a new level. I remember, like, when I was a kid watching fashion TV, you would see 2003 Dior's couture presentation. Just other worldly levels of art and performance and theatre and drama. That's what John Galliano has always represented. So he did amazing, amazing, amazing things at Dior. And it really, really, really was that perfect marriage of his sensibilities. He brought flamenco. He brought his Spanish kind of heritage into it. Also through his London lens to a Parisian couture fashion house. And it was just a match made in heaven. It really, really was. Now I'm talking, if you think about like Sex and the Sea, that kind of era, early noughties, that was when Galliano was at Dior. The saddlebag, the very, very controversial newspaper dress. He did, he took inspiration from homeless people, from drug addicts, from walking around the streets of Paris at nighttime, from blood, from gore, from all kinds of things. And that kind of brought him enough controversies as it was. His big controversy came in 2010-11 when a video was posted online of him basically in a cafe in Paris, desperately drunk, and he was spouting absolute nonsense to two women. Um, Anti-Semitic shit, really, really awful and dark and just unforgivable, unthinkable, unsayable. Anyway, it all, there was lots and lots and lots of lawsuits. He was dropped by Dior. Natalie Portman, um, who is an amazing Jewish actress, was one of Dior's representatives in a lot of their campaigns. Um, she was a brand ambassador for the house. She came out and said, look, I cannot stand by this. I'm a Jewish person. His views are anti-Semitic. They dropped him immediately. And a lot of lawsuits unfolded and he went really, really quiet. And he basically went into treatment for drug and alcohol abuse, addiction. And he wasn't really heard of in the fashion press until a couple of years later in 2014 when he was appointed creative director of the House of Martin Margiela, Maison Margiela. They dropped the Martin from the brand's name when he left. So it was now just known as Maison Margiela. But when Galliano was announced as creative director, there was obviously a lot of backlash. Like huge, huge, huge backlash. And to be honest now, I think had the incident happened maybe five years later, I don't know if Galliano ever would have been accepted anywhere again. This was before Me Too. It was before the dreaded, I hate even saying this phrase, cancel culture. It was kind of before that. So I think he just came at the right time. Obviously, some would say the wrong time. But he was accepted back into the fashion industry. Now, obviously, with the public... It was a rocky road. A lot of people still don't accept him or his work after his his views. Um, but the fashion industry definitely stood behind him. And Anna Wintour, for the second time in her life, 
stood in, used her powers to benefit him and his progression. Like Anna Wintour stepped in in his life when he was a young 20-something designer with no money, but the most amazing vision. She famously, oh my God, guys, I have to stop saying that word. I need to look up like thesaurus, words, words I can use in place of famously. Anyway, she stood in and she hustled her way and used all of her rich friends and contacts. She got him funding. She got him support. She would give him venues to put on his shows. Like Anna Wintour does not do that for anyone. She really stands by this man's vision and his artistry. And for the second time in her life, she did that. And she kind of brought him back in to fashion circles. There was Vogue documentaries, Vogue pieces online, just kind of about who he was and what he's learned and how he's kind of caught up on things. Now, he is completely sober now. He doesn't do drink. He doesn't do drugs. Um, He's also a vegetarian for what that's worth. He kind of lives a clean life where he wasn't before. He was struggling with drinking drugs. Anyway, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm just giving you a background as to what was going on with him at the time. The the whole approach kind of in the house was within Margiela was everything was kind of painted like an emollient white. There was kind of like a science approach. Everyone who worked for the label, they would all wear these white lab coats. And some people said that it was kind of a mark of, you know, we're all the same. There's no higher tier. There's no upper tier. We're all the same. We're all worker bees. And we're all here for the greater good of the label. Some people say it was kind of like, a, you know, it was playing on the whole lab coat energy. You know, it was a fashion lab. It was a design lab. When John Galliano took over, he really ramped up the drama and really took to that white lab coat. Got behind it and really, really kind of just blended himself in with the house and with the brand motifs. And he was been he was really successful and people really did appreciate his work there. I think the the label, like I said, with the tabby boots, the past 10 years have been massive for the label and they're turning over lots globally. But really, last week's collection in Paris was, I think it's probably one of the most defining moments of John Galliano's career because he has come through so much, obviously, with the controversies, with his personal life, with his own label, then going on to work for Dior. And now kind of, I think he will finish off his career at Margiela and guys honestly I'm well enough thinking about this like I cannot tell you the impact that this collection has had on the world just for young people for people who want to get into fashion for people like me who grew up watching these early 90s Dior shows to see that level of camp and drama and concept it's been lost I haven't seen it in fashion I really haven't seen it in fashion especially since Alexander McQueen died it's really been lost and just to see John Galliano back in his prime, creating a world, getting lost in a world, a concept, a feeling, a show, to see that level of artistry reflected back. It's just been amazing. Like I've I've never been as excited or moved by a catwalk show all my life. It really it just it's it's everywhere. It's huge. So guys, John Galliano, as I said, was famous for creating narratives and stories. Every single collection that he debuted on a runway was part of a overriding theatrical performance there was a story there was a narrative there was a beginning a middle and an end and he would ask his models to channel characters and this show for Margiela was no different so basically the scene was he was particularly inspired by just Parisian nightlife the things that you would see walking through the streets of Paris maybe at 5 a.m so basically Galliano was playing on nightlife in Paris so it was just like 
snooker tables, mirrors, kind of like a bar scene. It's always kind of like 18th century meets 2000 and whatever the year is with Galliano. Um, but basically, there was just kind of a really, really eerie vibe. Guests were served cocktails that burnt their throats. There was kind of just this sense of kind of just like spooky fashion shit. Basically, that's what I'm going to say. It was really dimly lit. People knew that they were about to kind of experience something that was otherworldly and dramatic. And that's exactly what happened. So guys, this is just a little, just to really set the scene, this is just a little paragraph that was taken from Days. Emma Elizabeth Davidson wrote a piece just kind of filling us in on the show and what went down. And I just want to read it out because I think this kind of sets the scene more than I ever could. Inside the dilapidated archway, the walls were lined with battered wooden tables and crooked little bar chairs and stools. Name cards neatly handwritten and placed on top of them. Throughout the space, waiters in old-school black bow ties and waistcoats served up lethal concoctions. A warm spirit and water mixture spiked with citrus literally burned as it went down. Dotted across the walls were big floor-to-ceiling mirrors in which faithful Margiela girlies decked out in full couture looks, including the bunny-eared wedding gown worn by Cinema Inferno's star-crossed heroine Hen, snapped endless selfies. Ironic then that Galliano stipulated the show was all about getting offline and taking a moonlit stroll through the cobbled Parisian streets in the dead of night with the invite taking the form of a Margiela branded metro ticket surely to whisk everyone home before the sun broke over the horizon. So basically what Galliano was doing he wanted to kind of take people into another world an underworld a dark world and that he really really did. The designs were absolutely breathtaking. Pat McGrath did makeup. She kind of basically did, skin is always the buzzword for these shows. The skin was porcelain doll-like. It didn't look like skin. It was like, is it latex? Is it paint? It was pantomime. It was absolutely gorgeous. And what they did was they kind of took us through this narrative of an other world. So guys, within this world that they created, the looks were basically... It was kind of a lot about, obviously with, with Galliano, it's always about like tailoring and deconstruction and drama. But I think to even describe the bodies, a lot of the, the waists were cinched. Mr. Pearl, who was a famous, um, would you say, he's a corseter really, he's an artist. He cinched the waist, so he worked with Galliano on the, the corset. So basically all of the models waists were extremely cinched and then their kind of upper halves and their lower halves were accentuated. So there was hip pads, there was big, huge horses and there was massive kind of accentuated shoulders. So it really kind of fucked with the mind. And then even with the casting of the show, there was a lot of models who were plus sized in terms of fashion. We wouldn't say plus size, but like for an actual fashion show, they weren't sample sizes, let's just say, which was really, really amazing to see. And also I think really, really important and it didn't feel tokenistic. It just felt really, really natural to the show. Gwendolyn Christie, who was a famous actress and a muse, really, of Galliano's on the house of Margiela. She walked the show. She closed the show. She's not your typical run-of-the-mill, you know, Bella Hadid or Kendall Jenner. So I think the fact that those kind of models were embraced and used, I think it's really, really important. And like I said, guys, it didn't feel tokenistic or box ticky it felt really really natural to the progression of the show 
they work with a really, really famous movement coach. And as the models came down the runway, they looked kind of like distressed. Now, guys, I don't mean in a Balenciaga way. I mean in like a really, really theatrical performance kind of a based way. Um, the models came down the runway in this other world and they really just kind of set the scene of high fashion, high glamour and performance. And it really, guys, it just felt so, so special. Um, in terms of the music, randomly enough, now I would never have said on paper that I would be into this, but the opening number for the show was Hometown Glory by Adele. I'm not into Adele at all. I actually really can't stand that woman. I think she's absolutely Viola Davis. But I think Hometown Glory is probably one of my favourite Adele songs. If I was going to listen to a song, it probably would be Hometown Glory. I think Galliano was playing on his experience, you know. I think he obviously is from London, but I think he's kind of, when he's saying around my hometown, I think he's playing on the London element because that's his experience. But he's also talking about this hometown of this other world that he's kind of created in Paris. Also as well on the soundtrack was Adele's cover of Fast Love by George Michael, which is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. And she sang one year at the Grammys and stopped the performance midway through because she wasn't happy with it. I think you might remember that. It's on YouTube if anyone needs to look at that. But I just absolutely loved the soundtrack. It was eerie and gorgeous, but also personable, you know. It's not some kind of nameless banging techno track a la fucking Balenciaga. It was kind of personal and gorgeous and poetic. And I really, really do think it set the scene. Just touched on Pat McGrath there, who did the makeup, like I said, about the skin. Pat McGrath, for anyone who's into fashion or makeup, Pat McGrath is literally God. She is God. She is the makeup artist. She's been working on fashion shows since the 80s. And every single time she creates a story on the runway, it's known and revered and loved and then recreated by many the following se season. And guys, honestly, if you do anything today, just look Pat McGrath up and do a little bit of a deep dive on her. And then more so the work that she created for this particular show. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Like I said, glossy and glowy, but like doll-like, like porcelain doll-like. Lots of use of colour on the face. Some of the looks as well, really, really, really controversially. Well, not controversially, I suppose, just kind of wacky. They featured like pubic hair on some of the gowns, kind of like covered in latex, like really, really long, realistic looking pubic hair. And I just thought, oh my God, that's so fucking amazing looking. Guys, I really think when fashion is at its best is when it does transport you to another world. When you get wrapped up in this kind of world that the designer has concocted in their head and they've showed you and they've invited you in on. And I think with a lot of shows, like I said, it just, you know, it's kind of exists there and then. And the moments passed. And it's like, if you're lucky enough to be in the audience, you're brought into that world. But for the public, they don't really feel like they have been. And guys, really, with this particular show by Galliano, I feel like the world was brought in on this show. We were transported to that Parisian underworld. And I feel like the ripples are f of this show are going to be felt throughout the world for a little while, especially in fashion. And guys, honestly, it really did mean the world to me to just observe it and to kind of get in and get excited about the discourse online and just hearing about behind the scenes and it just really felt like a fashion moment and I think John Galliano's had lots of fashion moments in his career but I think this is his defining moment it really 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 is it's him at his best 
it's fashion at its best. It's not even just Galliano at its best. It's fashion at its best. It's been an absolute pleasure to observe everything online the past few days since the show happened. And I really think there's far more to come. I think we're going to be hearing bits and pieces about this show for the next couple of months. And I think it's just going to be lovely to see what he does next. So guys, I'm excited to see what's next for for Margiela and for Galliano and for the industry as a whole, because I think people are going to really have to up their game now. And I'm ready for the drama again. I'm ready for that early 90s, big budget, high concept world to play out. So guys, that was a fun one. I'm going to be honest, that has to be a hard one for my gorgeous editor, Carl. I've kind of waffled on for the past hour. But guys, let me know what you think of this week's episode. Please do Google the show. Um, like I said, I'll leave the, the link to the, the, the show in its entirety in the notes. But yeah, let me know what you guys think. I think there's a lot there to unpack. And yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Also, I want to do a shout out for one of my girlies, one of my loyal listeners, Rachel. You know who you are. I love you to bits. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really thankful for your loyalty and the feedback that my mom gives me every week about each episode. And yeah, just thanks so much to everyone who has shared the love. And um, yeah, as always, share the podcast. Give it a rate and a review if you can. Share it with a friend for anyone you think might enjoy it. Thanks so much for all the support. And I think it's time to finish this one and let Jerry Halliwell do the talking. I will see you guys next week. Lots of love. Yeah.